And we have learned a whole lot of wonderful and interesting things as Pastor has been taking us through this particular series. On uh, the first week, and it all started the um, first Sunday in this month, for those who may have missed it, thank God for On Demand. You can go back and watch all anything that I'm talking about today, and uh, we can watch it on your laptop, on your iPhone, iPad, uh, mobile, any mobile device. Uh, you can get notes, and you can see video or just hear audio. But his very first uh, sermon in the Hard Move series was talking about how we can tend to be distracted we're distracted by temptations and life choices. And then pastor showed us examples of people who were hard to move in the right direction and also people who were hard to move in the wrong direction. And then his second sermon was called Hard to Move Leaders. Hard to Move Leaders. And he learned that if you, follow, you will have a challenge in life if you are following a stubborn leader. And he showed that hard to move leaders tend to be insensitive, celebrity-focused, abusive to the weak, roadblocks to those young people who are seeking God. And he showed examples of leaders who were easy to move, an example of a leader who had to be convinced to move, and then he showed finally a hard, an example of a hard-to-move leader. And then on last week, he showed, uh, he had a sermon on how do you create hard-to-move children and he shared three primary principles on, on raising hard-to-move children, and that's leaving family issues unresolved. You leave them with bad influences, and sometimes we stop healthy traditions. So all of those principles were absolutely magnificent, and I have the honor of uh, finishing the series talking about the hard-to-move family. So come on, say hard-to-move hard family. A family unit. It varies by definitions of people, but most of the time, a family unit is considered as parents and kids in a household. That's what a family unit is usually defined as. A family unit sometimes is also defined as individuals who have common ancestry. Um, a lot of you had an opportunity to go to family reunions, and it's like, and we all had, you know, the same grandma, grandma. Grandma Nellie and Grandma Nellie married Papa Joe. And Grandma Nellie and Papa Joe had five kids. And then the five kids got married and they had kids. And then now the family has 100 people in it. And you all had this family reunion. And so you had this wonderful experience of family. Some of you discovered people that you never knew were members of your family. You may have discovered somebody who goes to the 11 o'clock service and you go to the 9 o'clock service. You find out your you and your cousin go to the same church all sorts of wonderful discoveries that you had when you got together with that particular family unit. You saw a lot of similarities in your family unit. Some, some of the similarities were physical similarities. You know how you can look at some people and say, oh, you got to be Bertha's child because of those strong features. Your granddaddy has got to be Papa Joe, you know, because of those strong features. I know in my family, my maiden name is Brian, and uh, there's an area in Darien, uh, Darien, Georgia, is where a lot of my, my, on my father's side, my family came from. And I was told that there's this area called the Ridge. I don't know what it is. I left there when I was four, so I don't really know much about the Ridge, but I was told about the Bryans on the Ridge, and the Bryans on the Ridge have a unique look. So often, I can just, 
you can look at a person and say, y'all wonder if you are Brian, and if you're not, if you're not, you need to go back and ask your grandma and your great-grandma because there's some Brian in the ridge on you there because the features are so strong. So within a family, sometimes it's those strong physical features. In a family, sometimes you have those strong beliefs where everybody in the family, you know, everybody's Baptist, everybody's Catholic. Everybody in the family, and of course, this is not 100%, but in general, you may have everybody in the family is from church of God in Christ, you know. You have those tendencies that are common within a family. In your family, you may have similar likes, dislikes, voice. You know, in my family, I think about 60% to 70% of us are some form of educators, and it's almost like even those who try to fight being an educator, they end up being an educator. It tends to be that is what your family is exposed to. It is what your family defines as normal. So they're not fearful of that particular profession. Habits and tendencies within a family. Your family unit has tremendous influence over you. Now, you would think, especially when you're a teen and, and college and so forth, you think, no, greatest pressure is, is peer pressure. The greatest pressure is from, from my friends at school and all those things, that boy I like and all that stuff. But it's like, no, that's just for a season. The individuals who can really pressure you and influence you is family. Now, just think about it. Who can get the most money out of you? Your family. You can tell them no all day long, but if it's like, but my refrigerator broken and the baby's going to be hungry, it's like, okay, you know, your family is going to be more prone to get extra money out of you and on, on over and over again. Who will get you to get out of bed in the middle of the night to go buy medicine from Walgreens? Your family, not your peers from peer pressure. You tell them you better get over it and ask your mama for an aspirin. You will get up if there is an issue and you don't feel like it and you may fuss about it, but you will get up, get your car keys and go down to Walgreens and buy Tylenol or whatever it is that family member needs. That family member may ask for something to eat. You may fuss about it and say, I cooked already. You need to just fast. You'll give them all the speeches in the world. But eventually, you will go down the stairs to the refrigerator, find something, make them a sandwich, a sandwich and place it in front of them. Especially if it's somebody where, how many, new, how many grandparents I got in the house here? Oh, don't let a grandchild come say something to you. That's all she wrote. It's like, what you want, babe? Now, your daddy can starve, but what you want? You know, it's like, who will get you up? Not your best friend, not, your, not the peers where you were struggling with peer pressure. No, it is who? Family. That's who will get, make you get up and make that food in the middle of the night that you don't feel like being bothered with. Family is, has tremendous influence over you. So if we're looking at the principle of a hard-to-move Family, we need to have clarity that life is not just about us, me, myself, and I. Yes, there are a lot of things you need to make sure you adjust in your life, but your family unit is crucial because your family unit tends to impact other people for generations to come. So we're going to look, first of all, at God's um, movement plan for your family. God has a plan. I'm, I'm a firm believer that everything in life has, has a manual. You know, you understand that you have a manual on your job that tells you what to do. You have a manual to get your driver's license. You have a manual for to how you have a recipe on, on how to prepare various things. 
Well, there, God has given us a manual in life, and it's the Bible. And so we want clarity on how to move, not only as an individual, but how to move as a family. We need to seek his word. And he gives this pattern. It's a pattern that I noticed that God has provided for us. And I think he makes patterns because he knows he calls us sheep. And you know sheep are not the brightest thing in the world. So sometimes we just miss the simplest thing. So God said in his word, there, if, if I want to get them to move, this is the simplest way. I have a reveal plan. Come on, say reveal plan. A repentance plan. And a restoration plan. Say it again. A reveal plan a repentance plan, and a restoration plan. In the reveal plan, he, he reveals principles to follow and principles to avoid. And then in the repentance plan, he gives forgiveness and a path of hope. And in the restoration plan, it's like redemption. And let me give you an opportunity to have a brand new start. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6, and it's in your notes, and it says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands. I give you so that you may enjoy long life. So we see just in even in a principle shared in Deuteronomy is that he says, as you learn principles, I expect you to learn it and teach it to your children and your children's children and so forth. So that's his reveal plan. He said, it's going to always be a learning process. You will always learn something. And when you learn it, it's your responsibility to make sure someone else knows about it. Then he has a repentance, repentance plan because he knows that we can hear all the information in the world, but we're going to make a mistake. A, a biblical principle, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody has made a mistake. If a person thinks they're perfect, that's their mistake already because they're not perfect. You know, so God has a repentance plan. He said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So he said, I can reveal it to you. Then when you realize that there's something that's a little off, you made a mistake, Here's a, it's a repentance plan. All you have to do is tell God, I'm sorry. And then he gives a restoration plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you hope and future. So it is a pattern that God has provided for us, a life pattern that we can follow. Let me give you an example. Let's say on your job, you pray for this job. You say, Lord, bless me with the job. I need a job where I can make more money. I can have better hours. I don't have to get up 3 o'clock in the morning to go to work. All these various things you prayed about. And so God opens up this door, and then there's a, a, you have an opportunity. I'm not going to even blame God for it. We're going to put, you went and applied for the job. You put on your best outfit. You, you straightened up your language, made sure you were early for the interview. You did everything you could possibly do in order to get this job. So you go get the job, you get the job, you say, oh, thank God, it's my honor to be here. You know, I'm going to be your best worker. And so they say, well, I want you to be to work at 9 o'clock. What time did they say? 9 o'clock. You go to work. You are, because it's brand new, or you are before time, on time, you're there before 9 o'clock. Happy, excited, wanted to know where do you go, what do you do? So you got a reveal plan. They told you the policies. They told you what you should be doing on your job. They told you to be to work by 
9 o'clock. And so you did those things, and so you are progressing. You are doing a great job. You're getting up early, going to work. You're there at 9 o'clock. You're getting up early. You're doing your job, and it's 9 o'clock. Then one day, you get up, and the baby threw up in the back seat of the car, and you get to work at 9.05. Okay, you go and apologize. Remember, you have re re reveal plan, then you have re redemption plan where you say, you go to the boss supervisor, I'm sorry, you know, I had an accident, the baby did whatever in the car, and so it made me a little bit late. Say, okay, restoration. So even in life, you, you have that re reveal, repentance, restoration, restore. They say, okay, we understand. I, I, have, I remember my kids did the same thing. So you're fine. But then there becomes a pattern. Even in your policy, it may say, if you are late three times, you're in trouble, or you are late five times, whatever it is, it says, if you tend to make it a pattern, then you end up at the other stage where should they even restore you anymore? Something you ask for, a job you dressed up for, but you took advantage of it because you did totally ignored the reveal plan. The reveal plan is, I didn't hire you to, to tell off people. I didn't hire you to correct the supervisor. I hired you to do your job, and you're supposed to be here at what time? Nine o'clock. But then if something happens and, and they put you on suspension or they give you that dreaded little piece of paper that says, oh, we no longer need your services, you're mad. You did not follow the reveal plan. You did not follow it. And so I know of a case of uh, someone who begged for a job, got this job opportunity, but when they went into the job, they felt as if the supervisor wasn't as efficient as the supervisor should have been. So they decided that they were going to give some additional information to the supervisor and tell the supervisor what they were doing wrong. Okay, supervisor did not budge. They thought they were giving the supervisor a reveal plan, you know, but supervisor did not budge. And so eventually they said, well, you know what? I cannot work under these conditions, and I'm just going to move on and do something else. Well, within 24 hours, they realized that that was a mistake, but they thought they were just so wonderful and such a blessing until they went back to try to get the job again. And, of course, the boss says, mm, no, thank you. No, thank you. You have to understand that there is a pattern, there's a process where it's principles God gives us and it's principles that we use in practical life. We don't just, you know, sometimes it's like, well, that's what I use in church and that's what I use during time of prayer, but I don't use this principle even on my job. There is... Um, a verse, and, and I'm not sure if I, I don't even think I put it in your notes, but in Proverbs 18.21, Proverbs 18.21 is a, is a principle that I had to, once it was revealed to me, it took a while for me to get accustomed to it, and I don't think I put it in your notes, so just write it down. Proverbs 18.21, a principle I had to get. The principle said, death and life are in the power of the, of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And so I, when I heard this principle, it's like, okay, that just means you need to be able to control what you say and when you say it. So I'm thinking, that's not my issue. You know, I just have an opinion, and every now and then I'll share my opinion, but, you know, I, that's a nice one. You know, I'll apply it to somebody else. I'll, I'll throw it out on somebody when they come my way. But I found out in my early days that I started hearing people say, well, well Diane, you know, that, kind of, that was kind of harsh, what you said. 
you know, or that kind of hurt my feelings. And the first thing I thought of was, well, what's wrong with your, you, you need to toughen up a little bit. You know, body, we are, we are soldiers in the army of the Lord. If you can't take, you know, you can't even take a little push, you know, you must be in the wrong army. You know, I say, you know, it's like, come on. But I did not, when I started hearing it over and over and over again, it's like, it was God saying to me, Diane, I'm giving you a principle. You think the principle is for somebody else, but it's actually for you. The principle is death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. And I'm thinking, I didn't do anything. But when you're hearing it over and over again, that means, is it possible that that word is not for somebody else? It is for you. So I had to say, okay, God, you're trying to tell me that there's something going on with my tongue. There's something going on with what I'm saying. So you have reveal. So once I had the reveal, I had to say, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. Now, prior to that, every time I got a reveal, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and someone told me I was harsh, I may have told them I'm sorry, but I'm thinking, you need to get over it. You need to grow. Oh, my gosh. How soft, how touchy can you be? You know, but when I really got it, I had to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please help me to fix this. Because you can't, you get to the, the, the restoration. It's like if I'm leaving people wounded, you know, that's not God's will. For me, to, I should, it says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Do I want to kill people with my tongue or do I want to bring people to life with my tongue? So once I got that revealed, that principle, and I said, really, God, I'm sorry, please help me with this issue. Help me not to be hard. Help me to be an individual who has the ability to move. I move. I don't want to be hard to move. I want to be able to be adjustable. I want to grow. I want to mature. I don't want to just, you know, be a, be a toddler, a toddler Christian. I want to be able to mature in Christ. So once I got that, then I realized, Diane, what you need to do is stop and think before you speak. Until you get a handle on this, stop and think. Pause. Even if you have to say, help me, Jesus. You know, and it's like, you know, the first, when you, when you have what I call the tongue gift, you have those, those things that come to your mind right away, but then you have to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, is there a better way to say this? And so I had to grab it and say, what's a better way to say it? And then I realized that the same tongue that I was using to, to kill people with, and I didn't think I was killing nobody, but, you know, the same tongue that was, not up, was wounding people, I could use that same tongue to bring life. I could use that same tongue to say, you can make it. Be encouraged. Don't give up. You know, fear not. God is with you. Trust him. You know, girl, you need to fix your hair. Girl, your hair look good. Don't pay any attention to people. Whatever that is, I need to use that tongue in a positive fashion. So the principle, God has a reveal plan, a repentance plan, and a restoration plan. And that's for our families, if we desire to have our families move forward and grow and be blessed, we have to be adjustable. But then you have those families who just choose not to follow God's plan. Sometimes you have those family members who choose not to follow God's plan. So we're going to look at an example of a family where God's plan, uh, what, what happens when God has to create a new plan for you because you won't move. You know, when, some, when you're trying to push and push at something and you're, you're trying to push that, that dresser and that dresser is 
you know, a Thomasville dresser and you can't hardly budget and you need to get some help to push that thing. Okay, God is saying, okay, here's a case where it's a hard to move situation. And if, and if they don't move, there are consequences. If you don't change, if you don't get it, there are consequences. So we're going to look at the story uh, that we see in 1 Samuel 3 and 11. It's on your back page. It says, then the Lord came to Samuel. Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hear it will tingle. And that day I'll perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. I will judge him for the iniquity that he knows about. Because his sons made themselves vile, wicked, and did not restrain, and he, Eli, did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned by sacrifice or offering forever. An example of a hard-to-move family. Now, Samuel was actually brought to Eli is the priest, and he's, he's overseeing the temple. And Samuel was brought to the temple as, as a child. Samuel's mom was Hannah, and she was praying and asking God to bless her with, the, with the, a baby. And she said, God, if you bless me with this baby, I'll, I'll release this baby to you, you know, and let him go and do your work. And that's exactly what she did. She said once the baby was weaned, she brought the baby to the temple and said, Here, here's my child that I promised God, you know, as, as a gift to him and, and allow him to be used for your service. And so here we have the priest is Eli. Eli has sons, and the sons are doing things within the temple that they should not be doing. They're doing things with the sacrifice. They're taking sacrifices, and they weren't supposed to be doing it. They're fooling around with the women. They're not supposed to be doing it. And Eli, the priest, the father of these people, are saying absolutely, is saying absolutely nothing. He's allowing it to happen. These verses say that God is saying it to him over and over and over again, God is doing a reveal saying it is wrong. God is doing a reveal saying it's wrong. God is doing a reveal saying it's wrong. And Eli never goes to the I'm sorry. And even if he does say, God, I'm sorry, I wish I could do something about it, he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He didn't bring about a change so he can be, re be restored and continue to grow. And so at some point, God says, I'm done. And that's what happens. God speaks to Samuel, who is in there in, in training. You know, God speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel, this is what's going to happen to your leader because he's not listening. And so God has what I call a judgment plan. And the judgment plan is not, people just think when God is going to judge me, he's going to come down with fire and brimstone. Yes, he can do that if he wanted to. But I'm a firm believer that often when you don't listen to God, your judgment is actually your harvest is what you are scheduled to have, but God has been holding it back. You know, you were scheduled to get, my favorite word, cooped in the head, and God protected you and blocked various things, problems, and issues, but you would not listen. So God said, I'm going to allow them to get cooped in the head. So here we see that we, the choices of uh, Eli now will go public. The very first verse says, Behold, I will do something in Israel which both ears and everyone who hears it will tingle. He says that when I judge Eli's household, everybody going to know. It's going to be on CNN. It's going to be on Facebook, Twitter. 
It's going to be text to everybody in the database. Everybody is going to know about it because he would not listen. God's judgment plan says that um, all of the countless warnings that I gave over and over again will be brought to reality. God says everything that I've said to Eli over and over again will actually come true. Can you imagine? Everybody's going to know about it. And every warning that God said, he said, oh, it's going to be fact. Now, I'm not just talking. I'm not talking about it. Eli's choices caused his entire household to be judged. It wasn't Eli doing it, but the fact that he did not speak to his sons. It says Eli's household was judged because he allowed vile behavior of his sons to continue, to continue in the temple. I know of some, I've been amazed sometimes at some of uh, believing parents who allow certain things to go on in their household. And they say, well, you know, I can't control it because, you know, they're grown now. It's like, what? Ernestine didn't raise me like that. I don't understand that. You got in your household, it's like, well, you know, if, if, if I make him get out the house, then, you know, I know he, he's smoking stuff upstairs and he's not supposed to because the aroma is coming downstairs. But I don't want him doing it, you know, in the street. I don't want him doing it in the car. It's like, oh, no, you will be in the street. I'll just pray for God's protection while you're in the car. You know, it's like, I don't get it. But you allow certain things to go on in your household because you are afraid, I'm, go I'm going to lose him. You know, I'm going to, they're not, I, I'm not going to correct, you know, him because they're not going to let me see the grandchildren. And, and they'll say, well, you better stay out of my business or you'll never see your grandchild ever again. You know, all these little, little tools and strategies that people use. But here, you see, Eli sat there and ignored the fact that all of this was happening in the temple. Eli ignored the fact that not only were his sons acting like the devil, but they were impacting other people. His sons were sleeping with the women, all kind of things. Can you imagine the wounds and the injuries and the impact that was happening because Eli would not speak up? And because he didn't speak up, we are looking at his entire household. And you would think, God, that's not fair. You should just get the sons. You know, Eli was doing the best he could. No, they didn't know any better. And when they didn't know any better, whose responsibility is it? Remember when I said there's a process, there's a reveal plan, there is a repentance plan and a restoration plan. The reveal plan starts off where God tells that believer, that, that person who's supposed to be so strong in the Lord, he reveals a principle to you. Now, will your children know the principle? No, not until you teach it to them. They don't know that principle. It's up to you to share the principle to your children, your children's children, and your children's children's children. That's our job. So that's why God said, oh, no, I'm not holding them responsible for that. I'm holding you responsible because you knew. You knew better, and you still allowed it to happen. So we see that God had a judgment plan. Everybody's going to know about it. I'm done with you. Your time is up. And then he has what I call remove and replace. Oh, that's something that I've seen time and time again in, in the body of Christ. It's like, okay, pastor has had countless counseling sessions with you over and over again. Same issue over and over again. That's why he's a pastor. That is, to me, the patience of a pastor is absolutely beyond I can, under, I can imagine. People will say, oh, you're Pastor Diane. You can call me Pastor Diane if you want to, but God didn't call me today to be pastor because <laughs> I'm not going to be talking to you over and over again. 
It's like, you know what? I said it one time. Now, the Bible said, you know, I'm really hard on, I'm really hard on ladies, you know, especially married ladies. I'm hard on them. It's like, okay, you know what the Bible said? The Bible said you need to honor and you're supposed to submit, which means be in proper alignment. You honor and respect your husband. Not if, not if he does everything right and he's perfect and he holding his hand up saying, Jesus, you're supposed to honor and, re- and respect your husband. That's what the Bible says. Let God do the rest of the changing on him. But then when you're like, he's just stupid and he's just dumb and get out of my house, didn't I tell you? You know, and it's like, you're not supposed to be doing that, the word of God says. And then, but he still don't know what he's doing. And I told him, and it's like, over and over and over again, oh, I may, if I'm being super saved, I may say it three times. <laughs> After that, in my mind, I will say, well, praise the Lord, I'll be praying for you. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to let you get kunked in your head. <laughs> You're going to get kunked. And I'm not talking about kunked by your husband. I'm talking about kunked by God. You, you worried about your husband. God going to get you because you know better. You in here, you hear all the word, got the Bible, got the apps, been at Overcome My Faith for 25 years, then been to all the conferences, been in the marriage sessions, then been to conferences and all these various things, and you still choose to do something contrary to the word of God. You know, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Well, I love her if she act right. No, the Bible says, love your wives. I love her if she lose some weight. No, the Bible says, love your wives. You know, it's like, oh, no, now when she get tired of you and God coop you in your head, you can't blame God because God did a reveal over and over and over again, and you chose not to listen. So God says, and this is what I've seen, it's like God says, and next, and next. Now, I don't want you to say, ooh, Miss Temple said next husband, next wife. No, that, my example just happened to be marriage. Okay, but I'm thinking, let's, let's talk about not marriage. Let's talk about opportunities. God wants to give you an opportunity, a ministry opportunity or a job opportunity, and you don't really appreciate it. You're not paying attention to the reveal. So God takes you and say, and they don't get it. You know, something pastor says they are 5,273 miles from the will of God. So God says, you know what? I think I'm going to just let them move on and go down that path. So next. And then here comes somebody all nice and happy. And they're like, what does God principle say? Okay, I'm going to try it. And then you notice that they're being blessed. Harvest is coming. And then you got a nerd to be jealous. No. No, because they heard the reveal plan. And even though they did not quite understand it, they chose to trust it. Sometimes we will trust a manual, our driver's license manual, more than we trust the word of God. You know, it says, turn, don't turn right on red. Oh, I'm not going to turn right on red. You know, and you will hold fast. You refuse to turn right on red. But yet when God says, you know, uh, uh, place Jesus Christ first, love the Lord your God before any, any other man, it's like any other man, anything, you think, no, well, you know, I just, my car is just something. Now. I ain't doing nothing over my car. You know, we need to get it. We need to get it. Pastor taught the series a long time ago, and it's one of my, my favorites, and it was an example he gave where he talked about how the blessing truck, I don't know if those of you have been here, like, forever, 
You remember Pastor taught this series on, on how a blessing truck was going up the street, and there are times when God wanted to stop by your house to drop off some blessings, but then because you were so, too hard to move, you wouldn't listen, you wouldn't allow too much drama, a reality show was going on in, in your house, and you were throwing the kids out, and I'm changing the locks and throwing the suitcases out the door. All this stuff is going on. So while God wanted to, was coming down your street to give you a blessing, he looked and said, oh, it's too much. They, they, they fighting again. The police over there again. And so the blessing truck just keep and go, go right past your house. But then he said, the, the blessing truck said, uh, pastor said, oh, hit a temple house right here. Even though we're, we're not perfect, we still have issues. We're trusting and praising God. And, and, and my kids are kind of having a crazy moment themselves, but we're going to still love them through their crazy. Uh, blessing truck right here, just back on up. Beep, 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 beep. Come on up our driveway. We receive it. We didn't, a lot of the things that we experienced today is because we, we heard, we saw God, God gave us a reveal. When we made a mistake, we say, Lord, forgive me. Then God restore me. And then he gave me an opportunity to grow and move forward. And that learning process, that cycle is eternal. That cycle is eternal. If you are at a stage where you are never saying, I'm sorry, then something's wrong. God may have already picked you up and placed you someplace else, and you don't even realize you've been moved. You don't realize. I know people where, you know, it's like, that's the job blessed. That's the job God has for them. That's the ministry. The one that grieves me the most is I come across people, especially a lot of our, our, our young men, where it's obvious that God has a call upon their life. Now, a lot of the young women, they, don't, they can have the degrees to the wazoo, but they're, they're willing to go and do whatever kingdom work, whether it's paid, not paid, they're willing to do it. But something I see, especially in our African-American males, and God wants to really use them, but they're just afraid that if they yield themselves to the call of God, they're going to be broke. If they yield themselves to the call of God, they're going to be struggling. And then sometimes the wives and tell them, I don't know about no ministry now because you know I, I got to eat. I got plans for this big house. You know, all these things happening. And so I watch them, it's like, God's got a call on their life, and they're denying it. And then when they're trying to move forward, they're trying to progress. It's like they never can get past 20th Street, and they can't get past 20th Street because God had a call upon their life, and God had planned to take them to 120th Street, but they'll never get past 20th Street because they told God, no, thank you. It's one of the saddest things. I have some in my head right now. It's like, again, life is a circle. Because God actually called them to ministry. Life is a circle because God wanted them to travel the globe. It, you still have all the degrees you want. God, God had bountiful plans. He had plans above and beyond they could even ask or think. But they were afraid and they stopped. So God had to say, okay, next. So I've seen people it's like, okay, you got the ministry so-and-so was supposed to have. You got the blessing somebody so-and-so was supposed to have. You know, can I, can't even tell them because they don't get it. They were like, why? I can't go that any further. It's because you, you fought against it. You were hard to move. God did a reveal over and over and over again, and you chose not to move. So you can only be blessed in this one little circle, and you blame God for it. But what's amazing, Eli you see in this story, Eli knew the deal. He said, I already know. God, when Samuel came and told him 
what, what the dream, what God has spoken to him. And here, here's the sound. I don't know how old Samuel was, whether he was a young man, child. I'm assuming, you know, he had a little bit of age on him by this time. But when, when, Israel, when uh, Samuel came and told Eli what God had said, Eli said, you know what? Whatever, I know whatever God says is what's best. I, that's one blessing I missed. And so God actually said, that's it. I'm done. Move on from Eli's family. Sometimes when you're not listening, God is training your replacement right before your eyes because you refuse to move. You refuse to move. Remember, a family is um, a very extremely influential unit. You know, you tend to what one does. We don't, I don't know out of Eli's sons whether it was one son that talked a second son into, you know, carrying on with, with the women or, or they were both in cahoots together. Whatever the case is, you notice that there is influence in, within family. So that's why God says you need to make sure you reign in your entire family. Is everybody in the family going to listen to God? No. Is everybody in the family going to pay you any attention? They're going to just think you little, a holy roller crazy? Yeah, of course. Not everybody is going to say that, but what is, uh, what is our responsibility is to take that word, take those principles, and make sure we tell them. One of the worst things in the world is for someone to say, well, you know, nope, they never said anything about Jesus. I didn't even know they were a Christian. Even if you don't say it, yo, yo, it should be, it was something different about them. I should have known. You know, they had... Say, I'm a believer. I, I follow biblical principles to the best of my ability. I ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart, be Lord of my life. Nobody in your family should be confused as to where you stand. There is a verse, and I didn't put this in, in your notes either, but a lot of you know the verse that says, um, it says, here it is, in Joshua 24 and 15, and if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom you will serve, whether it's God of your fathers or whether it's the God of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. You've all heard that verse that says, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve man? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve a false God? Choose. That's your responsibility to say that to your family, okay? Choose who you're going to serve. But the end of the verse says, but I'm telling you, as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. Do whatever you want. You can't say, uh, nobody in my family can, can say, well, I didn't even know she loved Jesus. I didn't even know what her standard is. It's like, oh, no, they have a lot of clarity. I love every single family member I have. And not everyone in my family, not everyone in my husband's family is serving God. But they know who we serve. There is no confusion Something pastor says all the time, he said, my name ain't Eli. <laughs> we'll not have our household judged. So I'm telling you, there is who you, you, you make sure within your family, you say, well, who, who's God are you going to serve? And then when they make their decision, they'll say, well, I'm not dealing with you no more because you just unclean, you know, and you're not saved. And no, you need to show the love of Jesus Christ to your family always. Your key is reveal. 
Your key, the key is not for you to torture people. Say, you saved yet? You saved yet? Now, I didn't told you you're going to hell. Now, if you don't get saved, no, that's not what God called you to do. God called you to make sure that they hear the name of Jesus Christ and that Jesus loves them regardless of the state that they're in, whether they have a sober or whatever it is. You, Jesus loves them and that you love them and you're going to continue to pray for them and encourage them. That's what your job is. Now, once you've done that, you're done. Who you will serve, God or man? You know, and, but then as far as me and my house, you know, and I take it literally, like you ain't coming up in my house with no craziness. You know, even if you, you could be a high, high as a kite, but you sober up before you come in my house. You, you, if you could be all smoked up, but you better spray yourself down and, and put some mints in your mouth before you bring all that up in my house. If you're looking for some, some spicy drink, the spiciest drink you're going to get is water and, and some ginger ale. You know, <laughs> ain't happening in my house. Not happening in my house where it's like, oh, poor little girl, she's, she's, um, she's homeless, and so let her stay in my son's bedroom. And, you know, and it's just his girlfriend, and they're okay, because if they don't stay in this room, this is the stuff I hear from saved people. If, they, if, if they're not staying in the bedroom together, then they're going to be homeless, because he said, if you don't receive my girlfriend, you can't receive me. And so all this is going on, it's like, well, both of you will be homeless. <laughs> As for me and my house... I don't get it. I don't get it. The kid is bringing in all these new televisions and iPads and all this stuff and don't have a job. And you're like, Lord, just, people just keep blessing my child. <laughs> I don't get it. So I said, oh, no. My kids have clarity. My family members have clarity. We have gatherings all the time. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So whatever habits you have, tendencies you have, it's like I'm going to love you right in here, but we're not going to have no manifestation of your challenges in my house. Because my name ain't Eli. Amen. Come on and stand to your feet. Hard to move families. Hard to move families. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne, thanking you for this time of reveal. Lord God, your word is so true. Your word brings life. Most of all, your word brings clarity, Lord God. I pray that you help us receive revelation as, as we go to Bible studies and have our personal Bible studies and our time of prayer and all these, even as, as we listen to podcasts and all these things, you're revealing your word and you're revealing principles, Lord God, that I pray that we receive in our heart and mind. Then once we get that revelation, Lord God, it's up to us to make sure that we pass this information to the next generation and the generation after and the generation after. That's all God expects us to do is pass it on. Don't be selfish with the revelation. When we learn something, when we're excited about a principle that God showed us or something, God spoke to our heart in prayer. Make sure we share it with people so that they all have clarity and they understand. Those we love, we want them to walk in the wonderful deliverance that we walk in. And when we don't share it, when we don't tell them about it, we're acting selfishly, Lord God. So please help us to step into a new level of boldness so that we can tell people what your word says. But let them know that even after we tell them the word and even after we share our concern about their life choices, 
that we, they will know that they are loved tremendously. Not only loved by us, but they are loved most of all by God. That there is no, no something they could drink or do or places go or a lifestyle choice that will stop God from loving them. It's our responsibility to make sure they have that particular clarity. Now, Lord God, I speak upon a blessing upon all the families represented in this house today and those watching by streaming. I pray, Lord God, that we not be fearful or intimidated when it comes to doing our job. Our job is to tell people about the goodness of God. It's our job to tell our family members how much God loves them. And then after we've done our part, then it's up to us to just intercede and pray for them and continue to model the love of Jesus Christ before them. I pray, Lord God, that you will do a tremendous work in these families represented here for generations to come. I pray within these families present here that we have not only those who can fulfill all of the professional jobs like teachers and lawyers and whatever, bus drivers, but Lord God, I pray that within this congregation and within generations to come that we have pastors and evangelists and teachers and missionaries and people who are not afraid to go across this entire globe to tell people about the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray blessings upon these families, Lord God. I pray that our impact, the way you've impacted us personally, will impact our families, impact our families for decades to come. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue to keep